I pray that tonight will be a landmark for your life. I pray that something will happen that will turn our focus once again onto this most amazing and crucial reality, the blood of Jesus. There is a crimson thread that runs throughout the whole Bible from Genesis there with first of all the shedding of blood to give clothing to those in the Garden of Eden who had sinned right the way through to Revelation the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world all the way the whole of scriptures we read about the blood the blood the blood the blood and today people are trying to move away from this and we want to find out why and we want to learn tonight how to discern the blood of Jesus let's pray father in the name of Jesus we thank you for the blood not just a picture not just a metaphor, not just a theme, but a reality. The blood of Jesus now pleads for us in the presence of God, mercy and all the provisions of your grace. Grant a Holy Spirit revelation and a total destruction of every force, lie, innuendo, deception that the enemy has sowed in our hearts and minds and we turn our attention once more not just to the cross but to the blood of the cross in Jesus name Amen, Amen. 1 John chapter 5 sorry 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through to verses uh, chapter 2, verse 3. A chunk, let's read it together. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, we have not sinned. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. That's a word that means the one who turns away God's anger concerning our sins. And not 
for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm sure you'll agree with me there can be nothing more important than knowing the deep cleansing of the blood of Jesus in your life. Whatever else we do tonight, we're going to receive a fresh, deep cleansing in the blood. Because this is how we know that our sins are washed away and that we stand perfect, perfectly clean in the presence of God. But I think also there are fewer things more obvious today that the enemy of our souls is doing everything in his power to undermine confidence in the blood of Jesus. Satan's only hold over us is sin. And the blood is the only way we can be cleansed from sin and released from Satan's grip. And right at the heart of this is the revelation. It is in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. There, when the writer to the Hebrews is explaining how the new covenant comes about, and he says, it comes about through blood, just as the old covenant was sealed in blood, so the new covenant, and so he says this, Hebrews 9.22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Very clear statement based on the book of Leviticus and uh, the sacrifices, particularly on the Day of Atonement's Leviticus 17 verses 11 to 12 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by life. Now this is the first clue to understand what is happening here. The blood of a sacrifice was very really the representation of the life of that which, which was sacrificed. So the blood for us makes atonement by the power of the life that was sacrificed. And therefore, when we talk about the Old Testament sacrifices which were in their own way only marginally effective, because more importantly, they were testifying to the one who would come, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for the sins of the world, and the blood that he shed released for us the power of his life. And so it's not so much death, but life that we're talking about here. So the blood speaks about a life that has been sacrificed, and the life that is sacrificed is released so that we can enjoy the very life of Christ. Now we can see why the devil keeps fighting against this. He wants to keep us from knowing the power of the blood. That's why we must be alert to the devil's tactics and discern at every point his attempts to undermine the blood. This happens in many, many ways. One of them is, oh, God can just forgive sins. The cross, is, it's not necessary. Why all this talk about the blood? Like you and I, we forgive sins and, and we don't have to have some kind of sacrifice. 
but they miss the mark for a number of reasons. Forgiveness always brings sacrifice. And more than that, God is not someone who can merely gloss over sins and wait for some day of judgment for the whole thing to be dealt with. God is the moral governor and the judge of the whole universe. He cannot merely overlook sin and forgive it by brushing it to one side. He must deal with it. His righteous nature, his character must deal with it. And the wages of sin is death. Only a substitute death can rescue us from the wages of sin. Others say, well, the cross did not really happen. This is the favorite tactic of Muslims who deny the crucifixion ever happened, despite the fact that scholars, even critical scholars, tell us that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross under Pontius Pilate is one of the most historically attested facts. So in other words, there is another reason and it is because the enemy of our souls wants to do everything to push the cross to one side, even saying that it didn't happen. Others say, well, yes, Jesus did die on the cross, but you got the interpretation all wrong. It was nothing to do with blood and sacrifice. That belongs to some low-level pagan teaching going back to the days when people believed in superstitious gods who got angry very quickly because they didn't have enough breakfast or because they were somehow you know, irritated by you and, and you would have to placate them with gifts and blood offerings to appease them. And this is as far as is possible from the teaching of the Bible. The blood, first of all, was provided by God. It was not a sacrifice of a third party. Secondly, it speaks of God's righteousness and the fact that the penalty of sin must be paid. And indeed, God's wrath, God's anger, is not him losing his temper or flying off the handle at inconsequential things. It is, it's his righteous reaction against sin and it is his studied and measured reaction. God is long-suffering, but there comes a day when sin must either be atoned or judgment comes. Others say, no, God would not require it. The most extreme version of this, as we heard not so long ago, is that this is a form of cosmic child abuse. One of my friends, an atheist friend, said, I don't believe in the God of the Bible, but if I believed that God existed, I would find him disgusting that he would insist on the blood of his own son. Why, it is abhorrent. Why would God require it? But such people forget the holiness of God and indeed his love in providing for us in the person of his son, as the scripture says, God was in Christ reconciling us unto himself. That that God, out of love, provided the sacrifice. Yahweh Jireh, the Lord, will provide. Others say, well, he died, yes, as a martyr. That's identifiable in today's culture. Or an example, that's one of the most common ones. Jesus was just so full of love that he... he he went through this just to lay his life down for his friends to show how much he loved them. And that's true to a point, but there is blood involved, a sacrifice involved. So it was not just an example 
Others say it was an out-and-out failure. He failed in his mission and that was the end of him. Well, those are some of the things that we're dealing with today. I don't know how many of those you've come across, but remember, the blood is the great test of truth. One of the greatest tests of truth. Anyone or anything that somehow detracts from the blood or calls people to reject the blood, downplays it by way of doctrine or ridicule or subtle suggestion, deception or point-blank denial carries the hallmarks of demonic influence. Very significant. I am deliberately identifying the demonic and satanic element. That's why we need to be able to discern the blood. Discern the blood. To understand it with deep spiritual wisdom and to learn how to apply the blood in every area of our lives. Two things before we progress. We need to know what the blood does for God. At the cross, something happened and it was a Godward thing. What happened? What difference did it make to God? Well, we, we know that uh, the blood satisfies God's wrath, his righteous reaction to sin. It satisfies his righteousness, receiving guilty sinners who believe. You see, how can he receive us as guilty sinners and yet remain just and righteous? Well, the cross, the blood is the answer to it. It also satisfies his love because he himself, out of his own love for us, provided the sacrifice in the person of his son. Romans 3, 21 to 26. Let's read it together. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. There's that word again. And that is a Godward word. It means that God's anger is turned away. That's what it means to propitiate. And you have to struggle very hard to find in modern theology anybody who preserves the true original meaning of that word. The propitiation by his blood turns away God's wrath, satisfies his wrath, satisfies his justice. A propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The blood is only active and effective in your life by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. So that's what the blood does for God. What does the blood do for you? Well, in a nutshell, the blood sets in motion the new covenant. The writer of the Hebrews draws the parallel between will, the last will and testament of somebody. It can only be effective when the person dies. It cannot be put into operation when the person is alive 
but that's what it's all about. It is your last will and testament. And so he says, the testator, there must be a death to release the benefits of that will and testament. And so it sets the new covenant in motion. Jesus said, when he was inaugurating the Last Supper, he said, this is the blood of the covenant which was poured out for many for the, give, for the forgiveness of sins. And there's so much that the blood does for us. Cleanses the guilty conscience so that we can serve the living God. Gives us salvation and the assurance of salvation to all who believe. See, the blood is the means of our justification before God. Being justified through faith in his blood. We are holy and righteous before God by the blood. And it is only by the blood that we gain entrance into heaven. The blood delivers from bondage. Bondage to sin. Bondage to demonic activity. The blood sets us free from Satan's hold over us. We have redemption in his blood. Redemption means being set free at a price. And the price for our freedom is the blood of Jesus Christ. And this blood operates at least in three different dimensions. It delivers us from the penalty of sin, we are forgiven. Delivers us from the power of sin, we're set free. And one day the blood will be the reason by which, for which we have been set free from the very presence of sin. The blood attacks and deals with sin like an antivirus or a, uh, an antidote to a virus that comes and grips our lives. The blood also releases us from negative influence, from hereditary curses which have come down in our bloodline. The blood sets us free from the empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers. In our Living Free program, we go into this in great detail to make sure that we know what it is to live in the release of the blood of Jesus Christ from every negative, demonic, curse-like influence that's come down to us in our bloodline. And finally, the blood gives us victory in the grip of negative circumstances. When we are surrounded by opposition and defeat, we can still yet overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's what the blood does for us. Now to my main topic tonight, my main subject is to show you from 1 John the tests of life and the byproduct of this is that we're going to see how we can discern the blood of Jesus and understand how significant it is to hold on to not just in our doctrine, in our theology, and in our understanding, but in our daily life as well. 1 John 4 verses 1 to 6. Beloved, 1 John 4 verses 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And let me just pause there. When we are talking to people who do not yet know Christ, we have to determine where they're at. What's their worldview? What's their belief? And uh, often today, we'll meet people who, who don't believe in the supernatural realm. They believe only in the natural world, the things that we can see, taste, and touch, and measure in the scientific method, and nothing beyond the physical world exists. We call them naturalists. And uh, we have to 
help them understand that even that teaching that God does not exist and certainly the devils don't exist and there is, there is no supernatural realm is in fact the product of supernatural blindness and spiritual blindness. And sometimes you have a difficulty there. Then we meet other people who are perfectly open to the notion of a spiritual world. Indeed, in many ways they're so open that they lack discernment and they are very willing to listen to all kinds of spirit messages that come to them in loads of different ways. And the whole of the New Age movement, if we can call it a movement, is based on this fact that there is a physical world and a spiritual world and we interact with the spiritual world through all of the means by which we discern and listen to the voice of spirits. Now, I would call these spiritualists, not naturalists, but spiritualists. And I love them because at least they understand that the body is not all that there is, that there is something way beyond that we cannot see and see and touch. I'd love to introduce them to Jesus Christ, love to introduce them to the God who created the heavens and the earth. And instead of just stargazing and looking at the stars, going beyond the stars to see the God who made the constellations, and that God is the one who cares for you. That God has a purpose for your life. That God will reveal himself to you. That God loves you. That God will care for you. And that God wants to save you in Jesus Christ. So people know there are spirits, but we have to test to see whether the spirits are from God. How do you do that? So you have somebody saying, hello, from the other world. Say, Who are you? Mind your own business. I'm not going to tell you. How does it work? It works actually through the teaching that comes across. It's what is denied or what the spirits fail to affirm because there is only one Holy Spirit and the angels of God serve the Holy Spirit, there's no doubt about that, but the, when we talk about the spirit world, we must understand that there are dark forces out there, dark, deceptive, destructive forces, and what is their objective? They don't mind if they will prognosticate and give you a few clues about how to live your life. They don't mind if they can impart some kind of situation of health and well-being. They don't mind if they can bring you into a kind of pseudo-peace. They don't mind that as long as they keep you away from Christ and the blood of Jesus. So you'll be sure that they will deny the blood. Let's read on. By this you know the Spirit of God. Now, notice this is very, very important. Here we have on one side lots of spirits who say lots of things and teach lots of things, even if they don't say they have a doctrine. You listen to it long enough to what people say, you'll realize there is a doctrine there. It is a Christ denying doctrine, it is a blood denying doctrine. Have all of these spirits on one side, and then on the other side, you don't have a whole range of lots of spirits that you have to listen to. One spirit the Holy Spirit. And when you know how to listen to the Holy Spirit, you will have no interest in pursuing, following any other spirit, only the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 2, by this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. There's a teaching today that we just look for one Antichrist to come at the end of the age, but I tell you, Antichrist, 2,000 years ago, 
the spirit of Antichrist was active then, it's been active in history since, and is active today. So it's now we need to open our eyes. Now we need to discern the blood of Jesus. Verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever listens, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now notice it is not we who are claiming that we have the truth, we know the truth, we are the arbiters of truth. No. We are believing a message, an apostolic message that comes from the revelation of Christ when Jesus walked this earth and he chose his apostles and they were with him, they met with him, they touched him, they, they ate with him, they listened to him and over the course of time the word of life, that's not just Jesus himself but his whole message, his mission, all of that is attested to by the apostles. And so when we line up with their message, we line up with the revelation of who Jesus is. But not everybody is willing to stay with that message. Many are prepared to be led away, to be uh, deceived and, and drawn away. And so it was in the days in which John wrote his letter. Don't think that this is something sudden has come upon us in this generation. We go right back to the very beginning and here we have the Apostle John writing to the believers and he is dealing with a very significant issue. False teachers had infiltrated the church and there had been a battle between the leaders of the church and these false teachers and the leaders of the church, the apostolic leaders of the church, won the battle. And so the false prophets and false teachers left the church. And so now John writes to the church to encourage them, to say to them, this is how you know that what you believe is the truth. And here's how you discern. And here are the things that belong to the lifestyle in Christ. So, 1 John was written for a purpose and it is not to provide a test to see if you are really saved. That's one of the biggest interpretive errors when it comes to 1 John. Some people say, you know what this is about, you know, have a look at it and this will see if you are a genuine believer, to see if you are really saved. It's quite the opposite. No, he is writing to those who are truly and genuinely saved but he gives them a whole series of tests so that they can be sure and be able to demonstrate that what they have believed is the truth and that they really do have life because the life is in the message, the gift of life is in the Son, Jesus Christ. So this book was written to stabilize believers after this invasion of false teachers. So let's read it, 1 John 2 verses 18 and onwards. Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 
but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have, see, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. I write to you because you do, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. So he's not trying to get them to test to see if they're saved. He knows they're saved. He says, we write to you because you know the truth. We write to you not because you do not know it, but because you do know it and you have knowledge. I write to you uh, uh, because you know it <coughs> and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Anybody who says that they are a real, genuine believer in God, in the one true God of, of, of existence, and rejects the Son, not only has the Son, but does not have the Father. The only way to the Father is through the Son. That's the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard, and this is the key point, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise He has made us, eternal life. So this is the test of life. He said, are you believing what you heard from the beginning? Are you holding firm to the message that you have received? Don't be diverted from it. Don't be drawn away from it. Don't let it be diluted. Hold firm to that message. Anybody that does not follow this message, by very definition, they are outside of the covenant and knowledge of God. But that's not the end. We want them to come in. We want them to enjoy the life that we have. And so, the next question is, is all right, so we are sticking with the message that you apostles gave us. But how do we know that is the truth? <coughs> Excuse me. Very, very significant. Don't forget that these false teachers were denying that Jesus had come in the flesh. And if Jesus had not come in the flesh, there would be no blood of the cross. So in that sentence, they're dismissing everything. And so the Apostle John begins by reminding them of the basis upon which the apostolic testimony is given. This is very important because Christianity is a religion or a faith that is not based just on speculation and mental philosophical reflection, it is based on revelation and not something that you see in the night, not something you dream in a dream. It is something, someone that appeared in history and lived on the planet and left indelible footprints for all of us to follow. John 1 verse 1, 1 John verse 1, 1 John 1 verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
He is appealing to the eyewitness testimony of those first century apostles who saw Jesus, who heard Jesus, who heard his teaching, saw his miracles, and were witnesses to his crucifixion and his resurrection. And it was the resurrection of Jesus, which is again one of the most attested facts in history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrated that he was everything he claimed to be, not just a good teacher, not just a moral person, but somebody who was indeed the Son of God manifested in the flesh, the Savior of the world. And the Apostle says, believe our testimony. And that testimony has been preserved throughout the centuries, accurately recorded in the New Testament, which is an entirely reliable document. It has not been changed. And there we have it today. And we put our faith in the testimony of those apostles. Then it goes on to say, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And so into all of this, we come to the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. The apostle here makes it very clear that the way of salvation depends on us acknowledging that we are sinners. Not, not just that we do wrong things. Many people don't acknowledge that. Not just that we fail. Not just that perhaps we struggle with living a pure and moral life. Even humanists can talk like that. It's not just that we do wrong things. It's that we sin. And what that means is that we sin against God, the one who is the righteous creator of the universe and the one who wants to draw us back into his family. And so many false teachers will either give a false definition of sin or deny it altogether. And we as believers, we begin in our relationship with God by acknowledging that we have sinned and that we are guilty before God and that's where the blood comes in. I today have no problem, I'm not ashamed at all, I'm not timid at all in calling sin, sin. I will talk about it openly, courageously and enthusiastically. Why? Because we have the answer to sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. And John says, I, I'm writing this to you. Don't misunderstand me. I'm writing this to you that you will not sin. But if anyone sins, know this. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation of our sins. He's our heavenly advocate who speaks to the Father in our defense. And then, because the motive of every true apostolic leader, the motive of every Bible-believing Christian. The motive is this, one step away from reaching the lost. 
here in the middle of exhorting and encouraging and setting the record straight for a damaged congregation of God's people who've been damaged by false teaching and losing their assurance because have we believed the right thing? What is all these other things that these other people are saying? He says, I want you to know this. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, but not our sins only, the sins of the whole world. This is the good news we must share. Do not be shy or hold back in talking about sin. Don't be shy in talking about the need of a savior because the gospel presents not just the diagnosis, the correct diagnosis, but the cure, the medicine of God, the blood of Jesus Christ. This should motivate us and also talks about the development of Christian character and lifestyle, love. This is how we know love. This is how we know what love is. Not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son into the world. What the world needs is love. We've heard it, we've sung it. What is love though? Love is measured by the cross. The love is the greatest, the cross is the greatest revelation of the love of God. And because of that we love because he first loved us. Love is the hallmark of the new life. And this, this life that is at stake, fully and uniquely available through the blood of the cross. In the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went two times on the one day into the Holy of Holies. And it was incumbent upon him to enter into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifice. And there he would sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat. And it would be the atonement for the sins of the people. Hebrews points out, mind you, this was not real forgiveness and remission of sins. It was an annual reminder, like your TV license. You have to pay it every year, pay it every year. Because that was not what was really happening. What was really happening was that God was saying, there is come on, coming one who is our great high priest, who will enter not into a building made with hands, not even, not a holy place, even though God truly dwelt there on earth, but in heaven, into heaven itself. And he would go not by the means of the blood of bulls and of goats, but he would take his own precious blood, and this is not just a metaphor, the blood of Jesus exists today. It is real, it is in heaven pleading on our behalf. And because Jesus made atonement, the way is open for us to come by the means of the blood, by faith in the blood, into the very presence of God. And this is what it is all about. The blood opens the way for you to come near to God, enjoy His presence, and begin to know Him. So at this time when we are drawing close to God, hopefully, in new ways and experiencing new depths of revelation of his love and knowledge, we need to know 
the blood. We need to discern the blood. We need to apply the blood to every part of our lives. Do you know the blood of Jesus will cleanse your thoughts? Do you know that? The blood of Jesus will deal with the attacks of the enemy in your life. If you are struggling with any kind of sin or bondage tonight, there's the blood of Jesus that will break that. You don't need hands laid on you, though we will do that. You just need to put your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. If there is depression, I'm not minimizing mental illness tonight, but if there is depression and oppression, the blood of Jesus takes it. If you're struggling in any kind of way, negative circumstances, it's the blood of Jesus that will take effect. Now, this that I'm teaching tonight, the blood, I want to get it back into our daily vocabulary. And we know that it is not so common today because the dear members of the worship team had to go back quite a few decades to find any relevant song to do with the blood. And uh, when you know that this was D.L. Moody and, um, uh, and people like uh, uh, Salvation Army leader William Booth, their, their watchword was blood and fire. And in those days, when, when this nation was being visited afresh with understanding of the blood back from the Wesleys and right the way through to more modern period, it was those people and this, the early Pentecostals who took this up. We were not the only ones, but the early Pentecostals took this up. And when I was baptized here in 1972, I was taught about the blood. It's the blood, brother. You've got to know how to claim the blood, brother. It's the blood. You fight by the blood, brother. It's the blood. Satan, the blood is against you. That's what we were taught. So much so, uh, let, me t- let me tell you a story. There was this lady who was a disciple of many people. Her name was Sister Kate. And there was a new convert by the name of Agnes. And Sister Kate was discipling Sister Agnes and telling Sister Agnes how to plead the blood. One day, Sister Kate, Sister Agnes, two old Pentecostal ladies, buns and hats, and they were coming from a late night prayer meeting on the London Underground Room, just approaching Paddington. And there was a drunken man with a bottle of whiskey. The bottle of whiskey was empty, and so he decided to smash the bottle of whiskey and start to threat people with the shards of the glass. Now, two things you need to know. Pentecostal ladies are dangerous. One, because they plead the blood, and the other because they accept no nonsense. Sister Kate, who was a slither of a, of a person, quite elderly at that time, jumped up and grabbed this attacker in a half-Nelson. And there she was, holding him half-Nelson, the empty bottle which is about to be smashed on somebody's face, in the other hand. And she looked at him eyeball to eyeball and said, Stop! You mustn't do this! We are Christians! We have meetings in our flat, and we love one another! That's Sister Kate. In the meantime, Sister Agnes puts all the teaching into practice and proclaims at the top of her voice, The blood of Jesus! The blood of Jesus! Just then, the train pulled out, Paddington Station, the doors opened, and everybody left, leaving the Pentecostal trio. (laughs) That shows, in an amusing way, a little bit of the heritage. Now, I, I'm not accusing anybody here. Do you understand that? But I remember when Paul Cain stood in this pulpit and he said that the, one of the most important things to know is to know how to discern the voice of the Spirit and what is not the voice of the Spirit. Every spirit that confesses Christ has come in the flesh. And we need discernment today. And I'm calling you all back. I, I've got a, an audience far larger than this tonight in mind, I am calling us all 
the people of God today back to stand fully and firmly on the revelation of Scripture and not to allow plausible arguments and people who are embarrassed by talk of the blood and all the kind of criticism that comes for us to know it is the blood and only the blood of Jesus that saves us and sets us free. Amen and amen. <clears throat> and for us tonight, as we finish before we go to time of ministry and prayer, John 17, verses 1 to 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's the blood that makes it possible for us to know God. It's the blood that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. It's the blood that makes it possible for us to draw closer and closer to God. So it will stand to reason that the Holy Spirit at this time will re-emphasize and highlight the blood in our lives so that we can be freshly washed and cleansed deep down in our conscience and every part of our lives. So in this new move of God, we will be able to draw closer to him than ever before. Nothing will encourage you to draw close to God to get to know him, to demonstrate to others the knowledge of him. Nothing more than knowing the effects of the blood of Jesus. Cleansing, restoring, affirming, and welcoming you into the presence of the Father. Amen and amen.